Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And what's up, guys? This is Josh Pate. Welcome into this week's edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. We do it every single Wednesday Why do we do it? Well, because when we do Late Kick Live on Thursday night and Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, exclusively on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, at least if you care about the video version, podcast version is always here for you. But when we do that, it seems like I never have time to get all your questions in. So we figured, hey, everyone's locked in their apartment and house right now anyway. Why don't we just start putting out bonus content? And let's not kid ourselves. We're going to do this even when we go back to normal. So we got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got a very wide range of questions, and I'm not going to waste a whole lot of your time. I'm going to get right to it. A couple of things that I wanted to ask you. Number one, as always, give us a five-star review and submit a comment. And you know what you could do if you want to guarantee that your comments or questions are good on the air here? Submit a question as part of the feedback that you give us on the 24-7 Sports Late Kick podcast. That really, really helps your odds. I'm told that it's 100% success rate so far. But I was on a national conference call this morning, as we have every Tuesday here at 24-7 Sports. And I know, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about this or not, but I like to give you guys a little bit more access than maybe I'm supposed to. And I'll ask for forgiveness instead of permission. We got so much momentum right now. I mean, there are so many different areas in this company that are on the climb, new verticals. I mean, there are new ideas every day. And I'm not talking about ideas that are a dime a dozen, really great stuff that you guys have asked for. It's just delivering what you really want. It's up to us to know what you want. And on your end, tell us, tell me what you want. That's what I try to do with formatting every single one of my shows. But there's a lot of excitement. And I want to tell you on my end, it really helps. When you guys email, I try to make myself as available to you as I can. There's no excuse, in my opinion, for anybody in our business not to be available to their audience. Their audience is the reason that they are there. You are the reason that I'm here. So I make myself available to you guys, and I'm always fascinated by not only you submitting questions, but here's what really gets me. You guys have been telling me how you listen to the podcast or how you listen to the show or watch the show. Some of you do it on your back patio. Some of you do it at work, probably when you're not supposed to, but I won't tell if you won't tell. Some of you are on a lawnmower. Some of you are driving cross country, 18 wheelers, stacking US steel on a three-day haul, as Jason Aldean would sing. Hey, whatever you do, I'm here to listen to it. I love it. I love finding out how you access our content. That's the best market research we could possibly have, right? So we got a lot to get to. Let's dive right in, shall we? Will kicks us off. YouTube, he asks, thoughts on Kirby Smart's recruiting spending. Do you think they'll fire him if he doesn't win a national championship in the next three to five years with all the spending he's done on recruiting? Well, The first thing I would say about their spending and what Will's talking about here is the insane recruiting budget Georgia has now. It's exactly what you guys wanted. The biggest win Kirby Smart's had at Georgia so far. I think I've talked about this on the show a couple of times. He got the yeses when he got to Georgia that Mark Richt could not get yeses on. They did not lead the pack by any stretch when it came to recruiting spending under Mark Richt. 
my beef with them, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but my beef with them with Rick was always, they would not give him Saban resources Monday through Friday, but they expected Saban results on Saturday. That's not the way it works. That's what Kirby Smart told him during the hiring process. He looked him in the eye, said, you think you're all in, but you're not all in. Here's a list of the things that I'm going to need. And one of them was, we got to outspend everyone in recruiting. There's no reason we can't. We have the money. Like, what are we saving it for? To buy bubblegum machines? Let's spend it on investing in infrastructure to get the best athletes on campus because that's how we win championships. Now, what you're asking is, what if they don't win one of those championships? Is he going to be fired? Well, uh, I would say probably not, but I need more information. Are they not winning them and going eight and four? Or are they not winning them in the fashion that they did in 2017, where they're in overtime in the national championship game, or they're getting beat in the SEC title game, or again, getting beat in the SEC title game. There's a big difference there. Quarterback's key though. And I want you to think about this. And this is something that a lot of programs are going to see happen. And a lot of fan bases are going to see happen. Everyone's focused on recruiting here. That was the basis for this question. George is going to recruit the high school ranks. Great. It's going to become really important to be able to recruit transfer quarterbacks too. Georgia's been a quarterback away from already being a national championship team, maybe a couple of times. Just keep that in mind. Chico on Twitter, love the show. Got a question for you. Where do you think the next recruiting hotbed will be? Georgia's hot. North Carolina, the DMV, picking up steam. Any unexpected areas to look at in the near future? Well, Chico, I'd look right in my backyard here. I think Nashville is about 15 years behind what Atlanta, 15, 20 years behind what Atlanta is or you know was at the time transient city. A lot of young people move here. Well, young people, they tend to have kids and, uh, you know, they're not born 18, but they eventually turn 18. And not that Nashville doesn't already produce a lot of talent, but that entire central Tennessee area up to the Kentucky border down to Huntsville, I would look at that area. But listen, you mentioned North Carolina being hot. I don't know that people take advantage of that enough. I've said for a long time, I think South Carolina and Tennessee should hit North Carolina a lot harder than they do. The University of North Carolina doesn't have a problem doing it this year. Mac Brown's got his recruiting class parked in the top five, mainly because he's gotten kids from in the state so far. Let's move on. Dan in the email inbox. Oh, goodness, Dan. This is, <clears throat> I got to tell you, my favorite question of the week. Since you're a weather nerd, and he's right, I am, how close have you been to a tornado before? I moved into the heart of Tornado Alley in my 20s and had four before I moved back home to the lesser tornado alley of Ohio. That is Dan's words, not mine. I've got five under my belt, Dan. Now, it should be noted, this is not happenstance for me. I've been on a storm chasing team for quite a while, so I put myself in position for this. The first one I ever witnessed, though, was an accident. Hurricane Ivan comes on shore between, somewhere around the Florida Panhandle in 2004. I'm about two or 300 miles up the road in Hamilton, Georgia, coaching a Little League team. We have our team pictures going on that day. The entire tropical system is still moving through. Hurricanes tend to produce a lot of spin-up tornadoes. And sure enough, we had one drop right across Highway 116 there in Hamilton, Georgia. Brief EF0 tornado. Uh, they're still pretty terrifying, though, when you're that close to them. Had to run down a hill, had to take cover in a dugout. That was fun. Two years later, had an EF2 that hit Columbus in 2009. Was really close to that one. It was nighttime. It was rain-wrapped. We had to take cover in a Hibbit Sports. It went uh, probably about an eighth of a mile behind that Hibbit, tore up the north side of town pretty bad, had a water spout come on shore in Gulf Shores that same year. That was in 2009. Uh, there was an EF0 that I was actually responsible for alerting the National Weather Service to in 2010. That crossed uh, 
185 there just south of LaGrange, Georgia. And this is where it gets serious now. Last year, it was March 3rd, and we were we had a big outbreak that day. And so we were in Eufaula, and there was a cell in Montgomery, Macon County over there, places in Alabama, some of you know about. And that ended up producing an EF4 tornado. Came through Beauregard, Alabama, had over 20 people killed. We were, I can't stress to you how close we were to that. When we were coming in from the north side, huge hail shaft in that thing, torrential rain. They call it core punching if you attack a supersaw from the north. It is not advised. And so we're flying blind. We have a debris ball there on our radar scope apps. We know exactly what's going on. We get out of there. We come back through after it moves on. And it looked like someone took a plow, took a combine over the earth. Incredible destruction. Nine-tenths of a mile wide it was at the point where we were less than an eighth of a mile away from it before we got out of there. And then sure enough, one year later to the day, so just a couple of months ago, here in downtown Nashville, middle of the night, mind you, only time I've ever taken shelter from a tornado since I was a kid, because every other time I've been chasing them. EF3 in downtown Nashville hits the side of my building, the building I'm sitting in right now recording this, is still under construction. I can hear people on the roof right now, tonight, as we speak. They're still replacing AC units up there. We lost two people here right in my neighborhood. Several more were killed when that tornado became an EF4 right across the river. It is the biggest adrenaline rush you will ever get in your life. College football, storm chasing. Those are the two biggest rushes of adrenaline that naturally, I think, nature can provide you. And so I do both as often as I can. Carson on Twitter, the UNC football program just had a record-breaking $25 million donation. The donor was Eddie Smith. His quote was, watching the Tar Heels play has been a family affair for 60 years. It was important for us to support Coach Mac Brown. And the quote goes on. But what Carson asks is, how important is financial investment to programs that are not traditionally elite? And how in the world has Mac Brown been able to get people who have been fans for decades to all of a sudden invest in such unprecedented ways. Carson, the way that I answer this is when you think about Mac Brown, you got to have a dynamic personality because you're right. That money comes out of that hip pocket, but it only comes out if you pull it out. Very rarely does someone just say, you know what I want to do today? After lunch, I want to go give $25 million to somebody. I don't care how much you have in the bank, but that indeed did happen here. I look at Mac Brown and I think that guy's just as comfortable in a tie game in the fourth quarter as he is sitting on the front porch with you up all hours of the night, sipping on, well, sweet tea, whatever you want to have him sipping on, talking about stories from who knows when. That's the kind of guy who is great on the fundraising trail. That's the kind of guy who's great on the recruiting trail. And hey, it looks like both things are happening, doesn't it, in Chapel Hill right now, because they got a top five class and they got money pouring in left and right. You better hold on to every dollar you can get that was pre-COVID-19. I don't know how readily people are going to be handing over donations like that in the future. Steven on Twitter, good question here. Pay attention. Steven wants to know, do you have advice on what I should major in if I want to get into the same field you're in and do something like you? Steven, the major, I'll, I'll tell you, you can go the mass communication route. You can go uh, broadcast journalism I know there are multimedia tracks out there now. Some major universities offer an actual sports media track. But let me just put it to you like this. And I don't want to sound, I want to measure my comments here. I don't think a college degree has ever been less important in this business and in a lot of industries as they are today. 
education is very important, vitally important. Knowledge is vitally important. So don't misunderstand me. Don't hear what I didn't say. But let me tell you something. I've been hired at three different places. I've been hired in radio, TV, and now here. No one's ever asked me about my college degree. One of them hired me before I had even finished college. They cared about skill set and they cared about whether I could differentiate myself from a crowd. That's really what they cared about. So, and I get this question a lot and I, I readily make myself available to answer to you guys, especially those of you who are younger and you want to get into this business, or maybe you're sitting there 30 years old and you decide what I'm doing is not good enough. Now I want to get into the business. You're never too old to do what you want to do. You're never too old to do it. You need talent and you need passion. Everyone's got both. You got to figure out where they intersect. Okay. If you've got talent and you got passion, find where those two intersect. You better do something for a living that rests at that intersection or else you're never going to be happy with your profession. That's just a default. You got to understand that you're not going to make it in this line of work if it's not at the intersection of your talent and your passion because it's hard. But if it's in that intersection, it doesn't matter how hard it is because it's also really fun in case you can't tell. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing stuff every day here. Sometimes we're working three-hour days. Sometimes we're working 15-hour days. Don't really care because it's fun. But you also, again, education is very important. Don't let them pump you off an assembly line somewhere. Find the best in whatever it is you want to do. You observe who you think are the best. Observe their methodology. Ask yourself, why does this person, why do these people, have a bigger audience than 99% of everyone else. This is a huge industry. You got tens of thousands of people doing this. Why are there some who rise above the rest? Ask yourself that. And then secondly, where can I get reps? That's what's important. You got to get reps, tens of thousands of reps. Here's how I used to do it. Long before anyone put a microphone in my face, when I would ride around, you got to take advantage of the time you spend in your vehicle. It's the most underrated time you have in your life in your vehicle. Everyone's in one virtually every day. Turn the radio off. Turn the music off. Talk. Just sit there, simulate yourself being on a radio, simulate yourself being on a podcast and talk and practice and take much as you would if you were a hitter in a batting cage. Take your thousands of reps that way because someone is going to eventually give you an opportunity and it may be the only one you get and you got to be ready for it. And that's how you get yourself ready without having all this fancy equipment all over the place and millions of dollars of overhead and distribution and whatnot. But don't roll off an assembly line. I don't care if you go to the most prestigious journalism school in the country. You better come out of there with something unique. There are far too few jobs in this business and far too many people who want them for you to blend in. You got to stand out. That would be my advice. Acquire knowledge, get your reps in, Find the right ones to emulate and then learn what makes you unique and learn to build everything about your brand around that. Bill, on YouTube, before the start of last season, you talked a lot about Bo Nix and the possibility of a special season for Auburn. Where do you think Auburn and Bo Nix will go from here with the offense? And as far as teams are handling the current situation, how well do you think Auburn has done? Gus seems confident that Auburn will win a championship with Bo as quarterback is that something you see in the next two to three years? Well, Bill, it's always tough to predict anyone, including Alabama or LSU, to win a championship in the next two to three years, only because of the division that they reside in. 
I think if Auburn is to contend for one, offense has to evolve, and it has to evolve with Bo Nix's skill set. I was talking with some buddies today in a kind of a private um, group text we have, and I think there's a perception of Bo Nix's skill set that's flawed. People don't think he's all that great. I think he's very good. I think he's good with his legs, plenty good enough with his legs, and he's got a very good arm. He's got a very live arm. He has got a very good head on his shoulders. He can do everything a quarterback needs to do to win at the highest level of this sport. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If I put Bo Nix in Lincoln Riley's offense at Oklahoma, they'd be able to contend for a national championship. So if that's the case, the limiting factor is not Bo Nix. you got to evolve offensively if you're Auburn. I'll never forget this. I was sitting at SEC Media Days last year. feels like a decade ago. I asked Gus Malzahn, point blank, how important is the – I mean, this is not my question. I'd gotten this from other defensive coordinators. That's why I wanted to know what I'm about to tell you I asked. I asked him, how important is the intermediate passing game in your offense? And to his credit, he didn't lie. He point blank said, uh, we're either going to run it or we're going to play action over the top. Well, here's the problem. That's not a mystery. I mean, every defensive guy in this league already knows that. What kind of strategy is that for ever beating the best? It's not about beating Ole Miss. All due respect to Ole Miss. We're about to talk about the Rebels in a second. It's about beating Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Clemson and Ohio State because that's the kind of path you have to go through, unfortunately, if you're Auburn to win a national championship. Auburn's not in the vacuum, though. Okay, Even if they get things figured out over there, who else do they have to play? You know how that goes. I don't need to remind you what their schedule looks like. Next up, football exclusive on YouTube. I know some, by the way, I know some of you ask questions intentionally to get me to repeat the name of your channel or your brand on air, but I'm not mad at it. That's exactly how I got my independent channel up and off the ground. If you ask me good enough questions like football exclusive on YouTube just did, I couldn't care less about giving you a free plug. Tennessee has a lot of options at quarterback now. Do you think Tennessee will be competing for championships in three to four years with the class they're getting? And what quarterback? do you think would be the one to do it? Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to put an S on the end of class. Classes, I guess an ES. Classes. They need classes in order to get to that level. Secondly, I got to go with Harrison Bailey as the obvious answer as to who it would be. And that's without knowing who they may potentially recruit at the quarterback position in the class of 2022. And also, like I told you with Georgia earlier, could they also potentially have an elite transfer quarterback? coming to Knoxville. Could be JT Daniels, or it could be next year or the year after that. Do you know how quickly, how radically it changes not only the trajectory of your program, but your division and your league if you land a a blue chipper at quarterback? Turns everything upside down. You got to get used to that possibility because it's only going to become more and more possible down the road. Gage on YouTube, can Ole Miss become an SEC West contender under Lane Kiffin? Perennially, no, they can't. What they can do, Gage, is they can also pull off what I just talked about, and they could get themselves the right formula at quarterback. You know you've got a guy who knows offense as your head coach, and what they could do is they could have one of those special seasons. It would have to be one of those magical runs in order to contend, obviously, just like we talked about with Auburn, you know who they have to go through. They'd have to have probably a couple of plus three turnover games against big competition, but it doesn't matter how you win them. Do you win them? And then can you stack a couple of those on top of each other in the same year to put yourself in contention? I think you could build towards a season like that there. Yeah, I do. 
Next up, Luke on YouTube. What do you think LSU and its fan base should be satisfied with following a national championship? Should it be a return to the college football playoff, beating Bama, going to the SEC championship game again, or should we be okay with none of that? Love the show. Thank you, Luke. Um, well, you lose a lot this year, but everyone wants to answer these questions in a preview magazine sort of way. I don't like doing it that way. You know what you lose. You know what you have coming back. And if you don't, you can Google it and find out. Everyone can do that. What's beneath the surface? That's kind of how I like to answer these questions. And beneath the surface, figuratively and literally here, is, is the DNA. Is the same program DNA evident? Scott Linehan comes in. You got all these changes. Uh, defensively, Bo Pelini comes in. You've got Joe Brady gone. You got Joe Burrow gone. Everybody knows about the comings and the goings, and there's so much turnover. But yet, truly, if you injected a new DNA in that program last year, and it's still a, it, it's still readily apparent this year, I don't care if you go nine and three. And if I were an LSU fan, I wouldn't like to go nine and three. But if you go nine and three with three really hard fought losses where you don't cough the game away, just better, better rosters and better teams in this given year find a way to edge you. You got to remember something. You got a national championship in your back pocket. If you're a Georgia fan, for example, in 2017, came close, didn't get it done. Losses hurt all the more after that because you don't have that championship to fall back on. You can go four and eight this year if you're LSU. That replay, when you type it in on YouTube and you want to watch LSU versus Clemson, it's always going to be there. They can't take it away from you. And if the bonus is you have long-lasting effects of the changes you made last year, nine and three, this upcoming year with all the turnover, you know you're right back in contention in 2021. So I wouldn't really worry all that much about LSU as long as those changes are evident. Uh, where do I want to go here? As you can hear, I'm still flipping through pages. I just... I don't trust my computer to keep all your secrets, so I have to print these out. Tyler on YouTube. Let's say hypothetically, Alabama begins to decline in some form or fashion, and they're no longer seen as the dominant force in the SEC. Who takes their place? I don't think it'd be one program, Tyler. Uh, and the main reason is I don't think there'll be another Alabama because of Alabama. I think there's a lot of optimism, obviously, at LSU. I mean, that's they just won a championship. Auburn is no joke any given year, Texas A&M. I don't think it's going to be a joke any given year. And so, I mean, if you go across the Chattahoochee River into the Eastern Division, sorry, Missouri, Georgia, Florida, perhaps Tennessee, I don't think there's any one program that is equipped to jump five miles ahead of the pack like Alabama did for a little while. Connor, in the email inbox, is the YouTube show actually live or is it pre-recorded? Connor, we are live as live can be, my friend. I much prefer it that way. I never understood when I got in the news business why people didn't love doing live. I love it. There's an energy about it that you can't duplicate. There is the feeling of no safety net being below you is all you ever need to focus. Like, to be honest with you, I don't even like the podcast format as much. Like I think the next big shift in the podcasting industry is live podcasting. And as soon as we do it, I'm going to show Tony how to hook me up with it and we'll do live podcasting. Because when you record stuff, you always know that safety net's down there. I mean, what would you rather watch? Don't ask, don't tell me what you'd rather do. Would you rather watch someone tightrope walk a garden hose that's tied to two trees and it's three feet above the ground? 
or would you rather walk some, or would you rather watch someone try and walk uh, across the tops of two buildings that are 50 stories high? For obvious reasons, I think it's option B. You don't have to tell me why. I think we all know why. Michael on Instagram. I don't think I've promoted this much, but I am on Instagram, guys. And they do have direct messages there. Do you have interns or an internship program? I'm in college, but I would love to get a head start in sports media. Michael, a lot's changing here. I could give you an answer right now, but I don't think it would be definitive. I can tell you there's a hiring freeze. CBS company wide right now. So, so if you're asking about something within the next week, no, but let me tell you this. And I've done this ever since I was back in Columbus. I make myself available. And some of you understand what I mean when I say that some of you understand, you can reach out to me with more than just a question or a comment. Some of you can reach out to me with ideas. You can reach out to me with suggestions and I've done it before. So I know exactly how it works. There've been times where I've approached people that are in positions to hire or to make decisions and I've given them suggestions and I've given them my thoughts. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It never hurts to send an email though. It never hurts to send a direct message. What's the worst that could happen? I ignore you. I mean, you know, I don't do that by on purpose at least, but I'll tell you what I do have and you know who you are. I've got folks right now who just on the side to get some experience for me, do all sorts of things behind the scenes for me. It's nothing official. It's nothing contractual. Uh, some of that turns into contractual work. But if you want maybe a peek behind the scenes and you think you have something to offer, don't wait for someone to post a job somewhere. Don't wait for someone to post an internship somewhere. Make it happen. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of money in this world. And there are a lot of positions to be made available in this world. If you convince someone they need to make it available, if you convince someone that you need to fill a role for them that doesn't even exist, who's to say they don't create it for you? So for many reasons, that's why I tell you, I'm available if you want to talk. And when I talk about excitement for the future, uh, this company that I'm working for, 24-7 Sports, very much evolving, very much. We've got products that are up right now that did not exist four months ago. Flat out didn't exist, guys. This podcast did not exist four months ago. There are going to be things this football season that don't exist right now. And a year from now, God willing, it'll be that times 10. And it could be that a lot of the empty cubicles in any given portion of our office that aren't filled right now could be filled. You never know if that could be you. That's the whole point. Make something happen on your own. Tyler on YouTube. I'm a diehard Tennessee fan, born and raised in Knoxville. What's the one thing that Tennessee lacks as a team that's keeping them from being one of the best, if not the best in the country? Is it talent, coaching, recruiting, heart? Is it work ethic, play calling, depth, execution? Tyler, I think it's hiring decisions. I mean, that's what's really stood between Tennessee and being elite for quite a while now. And I think you could obviously, as I go down your checklist, because you have lacked an elite coaching staff, you haven't been able to recruit well. Therefore, the talent hasn't been there. Therefore, even if you've had the heart and work ethic and play calling, you haven't had the talent and the depth and then execution becomes irrelevant and probably isn't there anyway. Hiring decisions, Tyler. That's been the bugaboo in Knoxville. Carson on YouTube. I've been reading a lot during quarantine. Any college football books you recommend? I got three of them here. Phil Savage, uh, who until recently ran the Senior Bowl, fourth and goal every day. Some really good behind the scenes stuff there. 
Bruce Feldman, this is an old one. I probably read this one a decade ago, but it was when Orgeron was at Ole Miss and he let Bruce Feldman behind the scenes for an entire recruiting cycle. It's called Meat Market. That one's really good. And The Last Coach is by uh, Alan Barra. It's just uh, probably the best look at Paul Bear Bryant that I think has been released in the literary world. Let's move on. Noah on YouTube. As a Georgia fan, it's been incredibly frustrating to see two talents like Jacob Eason and Justin Fields not given a chance to propel Georgia's offense. I know some of you Georgia fans have already caught the mistake here. Hold on. Stop yelling. No one can hear you. He continues. I was often very critical of Fromm because I never viewed him as the type of quarterback that could ultimately bring Georgia to the promised land. Do you think Brock Vandergriff is that player for Georgia? Can he bring them a national championship? Also, do you think Kirby Smart made a mistake in choosing from over five stars like Fields and Eason? Well, Kirby Smart didn't choose Jake from over Eason, Noah. Injury did. Jacob Eason started that season. I know. I was on the field to watch it. And then he goes down. And then Jake Fromm goes in. And do you remember what happened the next week? Because I made that trip up to South Bend, Indiana, and watched a true freshman in Jake Fromm second string to start the year, start at Notre Dame, Georgia finds a way to win anyway. Like at what point? Think about the moment now. Don't think about retrospect. Don't use revisionist history. In the moment, by the time Eason was ready to come back, who in their right mind was calling for Jacob Eason to retake the starting position? Georgia was playing pretty good football. Georgia was going, by the way, that team was going to go on to overtime of a national championship game. No, I don't think he made the wrong decision that year. As for the fields mystery, that's what it'll always be, a mystery. You can do one of two things. You can watch Justin Fields at Ohio State today, and the blindest person, the most football tone-deaf person in the room can still tell, man, that guy runs circles around Jake Fromm from an ability perspective. Listen, I got people at Georgia, just like maybe some of you do. I've heard the whispers. I've heard the rumors. You got to know there was something behind the scenes. You got to know there was something more. You also have to know Justin Fields, maybe now with another year under his belt, may not be the player now that they saw in practice. Maybe Kirby Smart's just too risk averse. I just, I really hesitate not having all the information at my disposal or my disposal. I really hesitate telling a head coach that, uh, oh man, you made a personnel mistake right there. Cause you can't think it wasn't well thought through, or at least meticulously thought through. Oh, let's see. Oh, reasonable gump. I skipped over you, didn't I? I'm sorry. This is one from the YouTube chat. Should Nick Saban's relatively speaking pitiful eight and five record against Auburn be a black mark on his tenure at Alabama? Not a single one of the big ranked matchups have been wins for Alabama. It seems like we've only been able to win when the teams have been heavily mismatched which in fairness is more often than not. Well, that is fair. Thank you, Reasonable Gump. How'd the previous coach do against Auburn? First question, rhetorical. Second question, you talk about the unevenly matched games and they have been pretty frequent. Why are they unevenly matched? How could Alabama walk on a field and be a three touchdown favorite against Auburn? Could it have something to do with that head coach's recruiting? Could it have something to do with the stability and the preparation and the longevity of the program? All trademarks of a great coach, by the way. No, eight and five against Auburn is just fine. 
Flip the page. We continue. Spencer on YouTube, Wyoming's football coach, said in an interview earlier this year, there are no power conferences, only power programs. That's rich. They beat Missouri this year. How do the top five G conferences, or excuse me, how do the top G5 conferences, like the American and the Mountain West, stack up with the bottom Power Five conferences, like the ACC and the Pac-12? For example, if Clemson were in the American and Oregon were in the Mountain West, would those G5 conferences be better than their Power Five neighbors? No, but I know what the point is here, and I know where you're going. And there are times where the top of the quality of play in the upper tier of a G5 certainly more than overlaps the bottom of a power five. Uh, There are times where the best teams at the top of a G5 would be competitive right there with at least the second tier teams in a full season setting in the lower tier power fives. But even having said that, you got to understand the caliber of athlete and how much better the average caliber of athlete is. If you take, in other words, the sixth best team in the ACC. Who are we talking about? Um, Wake Forest or someone? I don't know who it will be. And then you take the sixth best team in the AAC and you look at the second strings on those teams, it's a night and day difference. Even with mediocre Power 5 teams, the talent and the disparity between the talent and the depth, it's night and day different. So no, I still don't think, and I'm talking big picture here, not any one given year, but big picture. No, I still don't think that, Spencer. It's a good question, though. Uh, Ron is next up on Twitter. I live in Cincinnati, Buckeye fan to the core, but I was first a Cincinnati fan in the dark 1980s, as Ron puts it. I'd love to hear your take on Cincinnati. Head coach Luke Fickle, former Buckeye, and what he's building here. I love hearing about elite teams. I'd love to hear more about teams trending up. Ron, this is a fascinating situation Cincinnati's in. So Luke Fickle takes over interim style in 2018, coaches the bowl game, full-time head coach for 2019. They were very good last year. This reeks of Tom Herman at Houston, does it not? Am I the only one who thinks this? And this is the catch-22. So Ron, I've always wondered, if my main team, if I was a graduate of a G5, or if just my main rooting interest was a G5 team, and people think I hate G5s, I don't. It's, it's not even a personal vendetta against G5s. It's personal vendetta against some people's terrible takes on how this whole postseason should be handled. But I digress. Let's get back on track. It's a really weird dynamic that I think you find yourself in because success comes with such a huge price. At LSU, if your head coach has success, You win a national championship, you give him as much money as it takes, and you extend him. At Cincinnati, if Luke Fickle goes 12-0, 13-0 conference championship and goes to a New Year's Six game, he's getting hired by someone next year at the Power Five level. And so the more you root and the better you do, the more likely it is, oh boy, this is probably the last time we're going to see him. I mean, 2017, we watched Scott Frost do that at Central Florida. They run the table. I believe they were undefeated. They go to the Peach Bowl. They beat Auburn. And he's off to Nebraska. And I wonder if that may be the case with Fickle. Because, see, Cincinnati, that's the reality there. Now, here's how it changes. And I want you to maybe use some bigger picture thinking here, maybe three, four, five year down the line thinking. The battle for Cincinnati is the same battle that Memphis, the aforementioned Central Florida, Houston, the battle that these programs have. And I don't care how many officials tell me on and off the record it's not coming. I'm telling you I would bet money. There's another round of conference expansions coming 
Can you be involved? What do you have to do to get to the big boy table? Because when you get to the big boy table, what happens is even if it's the ACC, I say even if, because you think about the caliber of competition there, but the caliber of the paycheck that you get for being associated with that conference and the TV money that you get, that is what's night and day. And that's what makes you competitive enough to all of a sudden, if you do win there, instead of a guy leaving your pasture for greener pastures, your pasture just got green enough for him to stay. That's my focus when I look at Luke Fickle, because right now, I think he's really good. I mean, I think you guys are in a great position, Ron. But what does a great position mean for Cincinnati right now? I mean, you stay great. Two years later, it's which head coach is about to come in and take his place because he just left us to try and keep us great. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast shane on instagram will urban meyer ever coach again shane i believe the answer is yes i talked to urban meyer for about 20 25 minutes a couple of weeks ago he he certainly didn't tell me that and he's not going to tell anyone that and i believe right now he is fully convinced he's retired, but I'm also fully convinced he's in his mid fifties and I'm fully convinced there are some big offers that are going to come his way. And I don't even care if he turns down the first two or three of them, but they're going to keep coming because everyone's going to have to get a no from urban Meyer. And that guy's good. And I listened to him and I listened to a lot of the work he's doing on the media circuit right now. And he's so dialed in and what he's talking about, he's still in coach mode. Now, I know that's a very simple-minded philosophy. It takes a whole lot more than saying the right things on a podcast, and it, it takes more than being committed to working six hours a day in a studio. Guys, I get all that. I'm around this world probably more than some of you are. Thank you for letting me do that. But I think it's still in him, 
And I think here's what I believe would draw him back. If a major program came open, and this is just for the sake of conversation, so please understand, that's all what I'm about to say is, if Texas came open or USC came open, and all of a sudden someone came and said, you see what Orgeron's doing? You see what Mac Brown's doing? You see how the role of a head coach has evolved a little bit? What if we did that here? What if we gave you an unlimited purse, hire whoever you want to, get your dream staff in here, and then you just drive the bus. You kind of steer the ship. And you be the face of this program. You be a CEO, but you know we'll get your coaching staff in here. We'll, we'll give you whatever you need from a strength conditioning standpoint. We'll have all the top facilities. If we don't have them now, we'll build them. I think that's too attractive for Urban Meyer to turn down. Now, that's just me. That is not an informed opinion. Um, but I, I actually, I do think it's an informed opinion the more that I consider that. Jeffrey on Twitter, what do you believe will make, or who, who, who do you believe? It's so dark in this room. I don't know why I turn lights on. Who do you believe will make a national title game appearance first, Texas or Texas A&M? Why? Jeffrey, this is a good question. And I wanted to give you an in-depth answer, but really all I came down to is Texas and my answer would change if the team switched conferences. I hope that was good enough for you because I, I don't, I, I mean, I like where A&M is more as a program. If this were in a vacuum, I like where they are more than where Texas is right now. I, you've got a more proven commodity as a head coach at A&M than you do Herman at Texas. You've got a better roster at A&M. You've got better recruiting at A&M. I think they're further along in being all in. Although, as I've talked about on Late Kick Live on our YouTube channel the last couple of weeks, I love the direction at Texas. And what Chris Del Conte has done to galvanize that place, I think it feels a lot like what Scott Woodward did and the effect he's had, albeit in a brief time at LSU. But there is a reality, and it's called the SEC West. I think I've already said it like four times on this podcast alone. So until that changes, I'm not saying a and can't do it. I'm saying odds, percentages, I'd have to ride with Texas. Chuck on Twitter. That Now, Chuck does not specify who they are. But they, according to Chuck, are saying Wisconsin is a surefire playoff contender at year's end. Do you think so? What do you think the outcome would be if they followed the same path as Georgia back in 2018? Murder ball, high percentage throws, rely on defense. Well, that depends on what your goal is, Chuck, because you just said playoff here. And if you want to play murder ball, and what that essentially means is what Georgia did in 2018, just bludgeon everyone, that's good enough to get you to Indianapolis. You're not getting through Ohio State if you play murder ball against Ohio State. And the problem is they out-athlete you all over the place. You know that. So you got to do something unique. you got to do something they haven't prepared for before. Murder ball, they prepare for about six weeks out of the year in the Big Ten. So you got to do something better than that. And even if you were to get in the playoff, it's kind of the antithesis of what Oklahoma does, but you'd have the same problem as Oklahoma just for much different reasons. You'd get to the playoff, but then you'd look across a Grand Canyon because of the self-imposed limitations that your style of play has put on you. And you'd realize, well, we got here, so let's pat ourselves on the back. But look at how wide this gap is between getting here and winning this thing. Oklahoma got there last year. And then LSU painted the walls of Mercedes-Benz Stadium with Oklahoma's blood. And they did it because Oklahoma's style of play, while conducive to winning a conference, was not conducive to beating an elite team. Again, the reasons are different, but the problem would still remain. 
Stephen in the email inbox. There was a ton of LSU. I listen, I know you LSU folks listen to this, but a lot of you asked kind of the same question. So I decided to let Stephen speak for the masses. Here is a derivative of about two dozen LSU questions. LSU coaches are adamant that the offensive system they've installed is not going to take a step back. In fact, Scott Linehan recently said they're going to continue to operate the same offense as they did last year while adding wrinkles of his own. Do you have any information or thoughts on whether Miles Brennan is capable of leading LSU back to the playoffs? What do you expect that offense to look like? The way I've been answering this is forget about Scott Linehan. Let's pretend LSU didn't lose Joe Brady, but they did lose all the players they lost. How good would Joe Brady do this year with Miles Brennan? Before we even talk about Scott Linehan, how good would Joe Brady do? Because they're going to take a step back, pretty sizable, even with Joe Brady there. So now they lose Joe Brady. Scott Linehan comes in. I don't doubt that they will try and do the same things they did last year. Here's what really I wonder. I wonder how good Miles Brennan will be not when everything's structured and goes according to design. I wonder how he'll be on broken plays. Broken plays won LSU championships last year and what Joe Burrow could do on broken plays and all those receivers that were there to bail him out. LSU will be plenty good enough at receiver this year. I think the talent, the arm talent, will be good enough at quarterback. I wonder about the escapability and the improv ability that you have at quarterback that you had last year, and I wonder if you have it this year. Bryce, in the email inbox, I was listening to your segment on J.J. McCarthy. Now, I erroneously said he was a five-star quarterback out of New Jersey, and a lot of you roasted me in the comment section, as you should. I could have edited that out, but I told the guys, I deserve it. Leave it in there, Colin. Edit the video. Put it up as was, and I'll just I'll let him beat me over the head. And you did. He is from Illinois, by the way. I did know that the whole time. I don't know why I said New Jersey, but I digress. So. Bryce said, I listened about J.J. McCarthy. Would you think that Christian Dixon and Xavier Worthy are the kind of elite receiving talents you said we need at Michigan, even though they're from California? What I said the other night was, the reason Michigan is not on the same level as the elites in college football is because they cannot consistently go down south and recruit elite perimeter talent. And the reason is not because of academics, and the reason is not because it's too cold. The reason is because Michigan is not attractive for elite perimeter athletes, wide receivers, in other words, from Miami, or as you said, from California, you got to change that perception. That's why JJ McCarthy is so important. You tried to make the move with the coordinator and Josh Gaddis. He's got to have the parts to build the automobile that you want your offense to be. Hopefully JJ McCarthy is that. And if he is, then all of a sudden you're talking about Dixon, the four-star receiver out of, uh, Modern day high school. That's where Bryce Young just came from. Yeah, he absolutely fits that description. I think Worthy, Xavier Worthy, he's out of Fresno. He's a four star receiver. I'm not as sure on him. I don't know as much about him, but just in a general sense, yeah, that's the kind of kids that you want littering your commitment list. Next order of business is signing them. And I don't have any reason to believe Michigan won't. But yeah, I mean, it's a good question because that's exactly what you should be looking for. Aiden, in the email inbox, Virginia Tech recruiting fell off last year. Seems to be down again this year. What does Vatech need outside of a big season this year to contend in the 15 to 25 range? They need an identification, man. They need um, something that piques my interest. If I'm not a Virginia Tech diehard fan, if I don't live in Blacksburg or the surrounding area, I mean, Virginia Tech's pretty anonymous right now, just to be honest with you. 
for better or for worse, when Frank Beamer was there, you knew what Virginia Tech football was. I don't have the slightest clue what Botech football is right now. I, I really don't. I don't think negative of them. I don't think glowingly of them. They're just a neutral program in my mind right now. And I think a lot of recruits may feel the same way. So I guess the easy answer is results. But I think more specifically, they need to be something unique. There needs to be something about Virginia Tech football that distinguishes and differentiates them from the pack. Terrence on Twitter, how often do you guys know where a player is going to commit before it happens? Very often, Terrence. These are the best in the business, bar none. Our regional and national recruiting guys blows my mind. I do the Wilt Fong recruiting whip around. We record that either every Monday or Tuesday morning, depending on information availability. And I, um, this past Monday morning, I'm on Zoom with Steve Wiltfong. He's our national director of recruiting. Been at the game forever. And I kid you not, we connect at 9 a.m. And as soon as he pops up on Zoom, he's on the phone. He's on the phone with a head coach. I recognize the voice immediately. And that head coach is talking about commitments that are coming. Wiltfong is flat out getting the information that we're about to talk about on the video in real time from the coach. I can't tell you how many times our graphics department in the past two weeks alone, I can't tell you how many times they've been given a heads up. So-and-so's committing here, get the graphics made. Uh, the answer, Terrence, is quite often, my friend, quite often. I, I'm not even in, I'm not even on the ratings council. I was on the phone yesterday with a high four-star recruit's mother talking to her about putting together a commitment video. So one of you, and I can't be more specific or pacific, as I said, until I was like 14 years old, who it is, one of you is about to get a really, really good talent, and it's a high four-star, and there are like 250 of them out there, so I don't think that I've narrowed it down enough to blow their cover. Really nice lady, though. Hopefully, she listens to the podcast. All right, now this one's pretty in-depth, so follow me here. Ideally, I would like you guys to make your email more concise, but there is some thought put into this one. I believe that number one, loyalty, and number two, an overwhelming desire to win have cost Nick Saban an undefeated season and arguably a championship. I'll explain. Number one, loyalty. Alabama would have won the 2017 Iron Bowl had Tua played. Let me mark that because that is an assumption, but that's one I know a lot of people at Alabama share. Also, Saban has repeatedly denied Scott Cochran on-field positions but retained him in his existing role, despite other schools closing the gap on sports science and injury prevention. The 2019 season was ruined by critical injuries before it started, and it only got worse. Uh, Jonathan, who sends this email, you're not wrong there either, brother. Let's continue. Overwhelming desire to win. This is his second point. Georgia out-recruited Saban in 2018, and he couldn't stand it. In order to regain that top recruiting position, Saban hired guys whose recruiting ability was superior to their coaching ability. That's a little too hearsay-ish, but I understand where you're going there. Certainly the defensive coordinator position left a lot to be desired in 2018, so much that behind the scenes, uh, between you and I, Saban probably made a move without the titles changing. Subsequent results on the field were not up to Alabama's standard in communication, execution, consistency, etc. This was evident all year long, especially in the game against Clemson. I believe he has evolved through these experiences. Do any significant lessons remain for Saban to learn? Jonathan? You know, I think you're right. I think this entire email is right. I think loyalty almost bit Nick Saban in 2017. I don't want you to think about where we are 
and take a sip of drink. I haven't hardly breathed in like 30 minutes. Think about where we are here. We are picking apart a season where this man won a national championship. But I think you're right. Let me give you my perspective. I was at that Iron Bowl. I covered it. I was on the field. I knew they were about to storm the field, so I went up Alabama's tunnel. And I was up Alabama's tunnel. I've told this story on, uh, on the show before. Uh, Bama's players are walking up the tunnel, and their wide receivers are ready to form a mutiny. I mean, equipment being thrown all over the place, and they are irate because Tua Tonga-Vailoa was not given an opportunity to play in that game. I don't know if they would have won, but I know I think I know it would have been more competitive. And as we know, he eventually was inserted at halftime of a national championship game. They were being shut out. Now, as for the Scott Cochran on-field position thing, uh, I may think that these are non-sequiturs. One doesn't necessarily lead to the other. But I do believe that he probably overcorrected his staff after that 2018 season. I don't know if it was in response to Georgia. I know they had a guy in Taj Lupoi who many, including Nick Saban, realized were not equipped to handle that defensive coordinator job. They were not what they needed to be defensively. And then on top of that, you start to have the injuries pile up. But here's the bottom line. Now the question becomes, okay, well, do they have the right guy in place now? Is Pete Golding the right guy? I interviewed Nick Saban the other day. I asked him straight up about that. I said, everyone's out here blaming Pete Golding. They, even in lieu of all the injuries last year, people still believe Golding was part of the problem there. How do you assess your program? And he was so nonchalant, so relaxed and said, well, when we did what we were supposed to do, we were fine. Now, I think it's human nature to listen to someone say that and say, well, duh. I mean, if it's not cloudy, then it's sunny. But what he's saying is a little bit deeper. He's answering your questions about questioning his latest defensive coordinator hire or promotion and Pete Golding. What he's saying is if defensive coordinator is a problem, then Play calling is a problem. Design is a problem. Game plan is a problem. He said, none of those things were problems. We just had too many young kids on the field because we couldn't keep our starters healthy. When we executed plays as they were designed and calls and checks as they're designed, we did fine. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't think the defense coordinator or the guy wearing the headset's the problem. We got to have the right players on the field. So that's a good email there, Jonathan. It was well thought out. Dan, an email inbox. I watched your segment about the Pac-12 from Thursday night twice. Your comments really got me thinking about this, given everything that's been said and reported from some of those clickbait posts. Not mine, of course. Do you think the various conferences and states' reactions to COVID-19 in relation to having a 2020 football season could spur along and speed up college football realignment and make it a more regional feel like it was several years ago? Dan, yes, I think this. We have had a conference commissioner that we have been in contact with, a couple of them actually, in the past, really in the past 24 hours, we've had one specifically tell us in no uncertain terms, that is not happening. It is not happening. And I got to tell you, I still think it will. I don't know if it's going to be because of COVID-19 now. I can't get that specific. Uh, I do. I have, at least I have thought that there is an outside possibility if worse came to worse, and the Pac-12, for example, and I don't have any inside information here, but if the Pac-12 were to say, you know what, no season this year, and Southern Cal is a private institution, very valuable brand, were to say, we're out of here, I mean, do we really not think that the Big 12 wouldn't make a play for them? Do we really think that people would just let Southern Cal float out their independence style? Of course they wouldn't. So if worse came to worse, I think that would happen. 
I don't think that we're coming to worse. I don't think that's what's going to occur here. I think we're probably, we're probably going to play football in a lot more normal manner than anyone thought possible. I don't know, just a week ago. I don't know why more people haven't learned to just sit tight on this. Just sit tight. We'll find out together, but that's where we are right now. How about this question? This question comes from Tani, who is editing this very podcast that you listen to. And he's got a question and it's good. And I don't even think he knows how good it is, but he's about to find out. Maryland just got its best quarterback since the 90s. And he is talking about Talia Tungavailoa, who transferred from Alabama. Worst kept secret in the world. That kid was never playing at Alabama. Now, I had heard Maryland, but that was a couple of months ago before Tua got drafted by the Dolphins. So I thought that plan may be off the table. I assumed he may go to one of those South Florida schools. And it turns out I should not have kept my mouth shut. I should have said Maryland because that's exactly where he went. So just know I was right, even though I didn't say anything. Anyway, we continue. So we got a lot of talent to put around him at Maryland. Loxley, Mike Loxley, he is killing it on the recruiting trail, but we play in the Big Ten East. How would you suggest I set my expectations for Maryland football over the next three years? Rev them up. Here's why. It really doesn't have anything to do with Talia Tonga-Vailoa, to be honest with you. I think he's a promising prospect. However, there is another element in play here. Not a lot of people are paying enough attention to this yet. Mark my words, a year from now, everyone will be paying attention to this. When that headline came down a couple of weeks ago about name, image, and likeness, when that headline came down a couple of weeks ago about being able to cash in and use the free market to its fullest extent and maximize your brand and your profitability as a college football player, you know whose eyebrows really raised up in the air? Phil Knight at Oregon and Kevin Plank at Maryland. Nike and Under Armour, respectively. What they've whispered about in college basketball for a long time is about to straight up become all but legal in college football. If you want to see a couple of programs that by nature of the sport and the landscape of it changing, if you want to see a couple of programs that could just flat out explode, it's Oregon with Nike and it's Maryland with Under Armour. Think of the potential. When you make it legal for kids to sign endorsement deals, think of the potential could you, how are you not salivating right now? If you own an apparel company, if you have made billions of dollars through apparel and your play toy essentially is a major university program like Maryland football or like Oregon football, and all of a sudden now legislators in Indianapolis are scrambling and saying, okay, 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 you guys can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I bet we can. And I bet we will. So Tani, I think that there may be better times ahead than even you guys in the Maryland circle realize for maybe reasons that you don't quite realize yet. I can tell you this though, assistant coaches realize it. And I can tell you this, Mike Loxley realizes it. Tom in the email inbox sent us a great question. We're going to wrap up on this. Last dance bulls documentary. Did you watch it? And I've heard you talk loosely about how you used to watch pro wrestling. I'm curious if you've seen a related documentary that they've been doing on the undertaker on the WWE network called last ride. Tom, I was made aware of this. So of course I watched every episode of the last dance. And then I borrowed my buddy's password as you do to log into WWE network. Cause I mean that nine 99 a month that can buy me a couple of rotisserie chickens at Publix. And so, yeah, I went and I watched the last ride. I love it. And I hate it. 
I was talking to Colin about this. He's the director of the actual Late Kick Live YouTube show. He, he like me, used to watch pro wrestling in the late 90s. And here's the problem. My problem with pro wrestling, the reason I can't take it seriously anymore is because they voluntarily have exposed their own business. They voluntarily let you behind the scenes. They voluntarily broke what they call kayfabe and essentially let you in on the idea that all this is choreographed and all of this is scripted. I don't say fake because I think there's a big difference between choreography and fake. But the, the bottom line is everyone always knew that. But it's like if I go watch David Copperfield, I've seen it before. If you've never seen a David Copperfield illusion show, it's insane. I go watch David Copperfield. I know he's not making people disappear. I know that he is not making someone vanish in thin air and then reappear in the Bahamas. I know he did not make the Statue of Liberty disappear. I know all these things. As long as he doesn't show up on a TV station the next morning and say, here's how I did it, I'm fine. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and I'm willing to buy into it much the same way as I'm willing to go watch a movie that is unrealistic as long as you don't insult my intelligence. I mean, if you have a guy that overcomes seemingly insurmountable odds in life, I'm willing to buy it. Just don't let him jump off a three-story building and land on his feet. That insults my intelligence. And it insults my intelligence when you sold me for 20 years that The Undertaker, who we're talking about here, is dead. I mean, that's the story. He's literally dead. They packaged the character so well. They presented it so well on TV. I think, I think it's the best character that they have ever created in the history of pro wrestling. They did it so well that you're willing to suspend your disbelief. What would sound ludicrous to talk about on the street, hey, there's this dead guy down here that's pretty interesting. What? You're willing to buy it. Only until they pull the curtain back. Right now, what Tom asked about is this documentary they're doing wherein you get behind the scenes access to Mark Calloway because that's the Undertaker's real name. And they're showing him limp around backstage and they're showing him overweight. And he's, he's signed off on all this. It's a documentary crew following him around. They humanize him. I don't want to see the Undertaker humanized. I don't want to know about the real Undertaker. I don't want to know any of that. But here's the problem. If you put it in front of me, I'm going to watch it. Just like if you tell me how the magic trick works, I'm not going to turn the channel. I'm going to listen. I'm just not going to respect the magic industry anymore after I found out how it worked. And I'm not respecting the pro wrestling product anymore after you expose it. Someone else can expose it. I don't care. As long as you look me in the eye and tell me it's real, as long as you don't insult my intelligence, I'm willing to buy into it. But the moment that you're showing me or you're showing the undertaker get hip surgery, ah, I'm out, man. As soon as you're showing him on a, on a deck in his backyard, crying up, tearing up a little bit, thinking about his career, I'm out. This man's supposed to be dead. I mean, this man is supposed to be without a soul. I'm not about it. I'm just not about it. We had a really good list of questions here, and I still didn't get to them all. So here is what I want you to do. What I want you to do is keep sending them, and I will get to as many as possible. And the ones that I don't answer, I try and at least get you a response via email. But as I told you, the five-star reviews that you can give us on this podcast, they are worth their weight in gold. And the more you give us, the more traction that this gets, and the more traction this gets, the more we're going to deliver you content that you want. I'll also tell you this. I don't know why we didn't think of it before. Probably someone did. I just didn't think of it. You take the comment section where you can leave feedback on this podcast. 
and you put your questions there, give us a five-star review and put your questions there in the form of a comment, a review, I can promise you we're getting to them. I can promise you that. A lot of you have screenshotted evidence that you have given us a five-star review and just sent the screenshot to me in the email inbox. I love that. That's also a guaranteed response. JoshPate706 at gmail.com, at LateKickJosh on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. I think it's the same handle there. And you can just comment on the YouTube channel. But we will see you this Thursday night, depending on when you're listening, and this Sunday night. Late Kick Live airs at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You guys, as I always tell you, are the reason I get to do this, so I really, really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. As you can tell, I'm partially hoarse for the most ridiculous reason in the world. I've had sneezing attacks the last two days because of allergies, and my sneezes are those really violent kind, the kind that you hear two doors down, and you think something just happened, like... Did, did an asteroid just hit the building? No, it's just him sneezing. And it partially tears my vocal cords. So that's where half my voice is right now. But it will be back. And if not, I can whisper. It just draws you in more and captivates more of your attention. So we've talked long enough here. I'll see you on the YouTube show. I'll see you right back here. Fill that inbox. Get those questions in. I really appreciate it. You guys have a great rest of your week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.